This is Clutch Fans. The Rockets are going to Boston. How sweet it is! And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. <laughs> I'm ready to get on Clutch fans. Now, here's your host. The man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Here we are in the exact same spot where we were sitting after game one. I'm here with the great M.K. Bauer. Um, we're basically laughing to keep from crying, but uh, the Rockets are in an 0-2 hole. They have lost game two, 112 uh, to 105, and... MK, I, I, for, again, thanks for joining me for this. I, I, I really appreciate having you on and your insight. Um, I'm, I'm seriously stunned. I, I really thought this was going to be a game where they were going to come out and rebound uh, just from their game one loss. That they, game, like they should have won. Um, and now they're in an 0-2 hole going back to Portland. We spent a lot of time after game one talking about the, the fact that it seemed impossible, well, at least improbable, that Aldridge could have a better game than he had in game one and game two and that Harden could have a worse game or as poor of a game in game two as he had in game one. And both of those things came to fruition. It's really shocking. Um, I don't know what I'm more shocked by. Actually, I'm going to say Harden. Uh, I, I thought he would find a way to rebound and just be the, in more in line with the kind of player he's been through the course of this season. And in all honesty, he was worse tonight. He, he seemed like he was second-guessing himself on the court. He didn't, again, he wasn't very aggressive going to the lane. Um, it, it was clear he wasn't confident in his shot early on. He had a couple threes here and there, but really never got into, into any sort of rhythm. And then I thought it affected his decision-making through the course of the game as things got tight um, later on. Um, Aldridge, and I've been hammering this home, and, and I'm surprised to an extent that people are shocked about how well he's played. When he's played well against the Rockets in the course of his career, and he's been outstanding this season, obviously 46-18 and 18, and then 43-8 and 8 seems extreme, but I really believe in confidence within a player. And when you know you play well against a team, that confidence develops in it and it builds, and he's playing like a confident player right now. You know, we were talking about this just before we started recording this podcast, and I cannot recall ever coming to a game and watching somebody completely dominate from 18 feet out. I mean, in those first three quarters, I mean, Lamar, it just felt like he never missed, and he would have Omar Ashik with hands in his face. Uh, I mean, there were, don't get me wrong, there were plenty of defensive breakdowns. There were uh, times when he would come in and crash the offensive glass and tip it in, or he would uh, get, for whatever reason, a defensive rotation breakdown where he'd be left wide open from 17 feet out at the elbow. Um, there were some problems, but he is just hitting shot after shot that just makes you go, wow. And, and you have to tip your hat to him. I mean, I know the Rockets need to make adjustments, but some of these shots that he's hitting, I mean, it. it it just blows your mind. He had 39 points by the end of the third quarter, was 13 to 15 in mid-range. And, and it's interesting to know that, that Kevin McHale said afterwards that their goal was to push him out of the post where he dominated in game one into the mid-range where he dominated in game two. I think it's interesting from two points because, A, clearly the numbers suggest that Mar- LaMarcus Aldridge is a great mid-range scorer, so you should not be surprised by him having a good game. 
in the same vein, the Rockets were kind of in a bad spot because you don't want to give him easier shots in the post, A, and B, you really don't want to double-team him because of the Blazers' three-point shooting. So I understand where they're coming from. And they ran body at body after you know, toward him. Ashik, um, Howard, who barely saw um, Terrence Jones on him tonight, not very often. So the effort was there. I just think they're at their wits in in terms of what to do with the guy. When someone goes 13 for 15 in mid-range, you have to chalk it up to him being extraordinarily hot. And maybe that doesn't last. It's not sustainable. But at the same time, again, it's confidence. And I think because he feels good about his game, and I asked him that specifically afterwards, when you've worked so hard to become a guy who can score with your back to the basket and facing up 15 to 18 feet, how pleased are you that you could develop that game and then have that sort of performance in a game of this magnitude? And he talked about being blessed and, and you know feeling justified and all the work he's put in. We saw that tonight. The Rockets made that effort to move him away from the basket, and it just didn't matter. He was as good tonight as he was in game one. Awesome player. I, I don't know if this is a silver lining at all. I mean, obviously you're, you're down 0-2 going back to Portland, but in that fourth quarter he did miss – uh, some shots, uh, you know, from from outside, and I thought that uh, was a possible silver lining. I do want to talk a little bit about Harden. Obviously, the overwhelming story tonight: uh, six for 19, um, fouled out late in the game, um, had five turnovers. Really, was probably one of his worst games as a Rocket. He's had some stinkers, but I, you know, I think tonight he, it, it honestly looked like mentally he's been rattled, like he's having a hard time getting to the basket. Uh, I know he was blocked on a drive earlier in the game uh, by Thomas Robinson. I don't, I don't know how much of this, you know, is, is what is happening. Um, we've talked about his maturity level in the past as well. Afterwards tonight, uh, he, he really didn't like being asked about his shooting struggles. He deflected it to saying the Rockets are struggling to get stops, and that's all he's worried about, uh, and got into a little bit of a tiff uh, with a reporter. The reporter that asked him about it afterwards, calling him a weirdo, among other things. But... Um, I don't know that if anything. I mean, the Rockets depend so much on Harden. If they have any chance in this series, he has to turn it around quick. You always wonder how how players will adjust to moments like these, and um, whether or not the, the specter of how poorly he performed in the finals against Miami two years ago still weighs on him. I thought he was okay last year against Oklahoma City in the postseason. Obviously, he was very good um, against the Spurs before the Thunder lost to the, in the finals two years ago. He seems to be struggling finding his way in a postseason right now, and I don't want to stamp the guy as someone who, who shrinks in these moments because I don't think we have enough of, of a yeah. control group to, to make that assessment. But in the same vein, it's disappointing and it's concerning that two games in, when he's had an all-NBA season, first team in my opinion, to play this poorly, to miss 20 shots in game one, to miss 13 shots in game two, to, to turn the ball over five times, to foul out, and to really give you none of that oomph that he's provided throughout the course of his two years here. It, it, it's, it's strange, and you have to kind of reflect on it and wonder where he's headed, not just this series, but moving forward, because these things stick with players. You know, I think yeah. LeBron James needed a series of good postseason series to get over what happened to him against yeah. Dallas. And, you know, I don't know if James is headed down that same path, but he seems like he's going that direction at least. So, um, to your point, it's it's – they can't do this without him. Uh, we saw how well Dwight Howard performed, and we'll get to that, obviously. But it really meant nothing because as, as outstanding he, as he was coming out of the gate, the Rockets never opened a big lead. They were tied at, at, at the half, and you need that second guy to give you something. Tonight, the Blazers, that second guy was their bench. And Lillard giving you a double-double, even though he wasn't as extraordinary as he was in game one, they got the help. 
Dwight Howard had no help tonight. The, the bench was non-existent. Um, the other superstar on the team, James Harden, played poorly. And that's why the Rockets are where they are. Harden has to figure it out. And he can't be as immature moving forward as he was tonight in terms of having that sort of response to a difficult question because you're the guy making all the money on the team. you gotta, you got to take that weight when it's put on you. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and obviously Harden, uh, a huge problem tonight. But Chandler Parsons just 5 of 15 from the field. Uh, Jeremy Lane really gave you nothing off the bench. He did have a, a few nice passes. I thought uh, alley-oop passes to Dwight Howard in this game. Otherwise, I think for a scoring spark, he just gave you nothing. One for five from the field, five points off the bench. Uh, three of those came, points came on uh, on free throws. That's the big shock to me, is that Portland, you would have thought, you know, being a weaker defensive team, that the Rockets' offense would be clicking. We've talked about three-point shooting in this in the first game where the Rockets were absolutely terrible tonight they were even worse three for 16 from three-point range 18.8 uh, percent i mean is mikhail going to make an adjustment to the point where we have to see a, a troy daniels or jordan hamilton something where they're not getting any kind of three-point uh, effective three-point shooting right now with the current rotation i think it's interesting we talked about this at the game one that if you're going to make 14 three-pointers you're going to take 30 and, and tonight they only took 16 and i wonder how much is in their head they're not shooting well from three-point line it was amazing to watch them their reluctance for, uh, in terms of taking three-point shots or at least they're not even being a part of what they were doing offensively considering that's who they are as a team that's the reputation that's their identity you can't only take 16 three-point shots in a game of this magnitude you have to be who you are even if you're missing to an extent so i, I was curious about that and uh, to, to your point about mikhail I'm not quite sure where he goes because when you've gotten this deep into a season and you start to pair guys out of the rotation, they know you don't have confidence in them. I think Demo knows pretty clearly, and Demo played poorly down the shirt, so let's note, let's note that. Jordan Hamilton knows you don't have confidence in him. Troy Daniels really shouldn't be in this spot in terms of being a savior off your bench. That's, <laughs> right. that's a problem if you're expecting him to come in here. Omri Caspi didn't play very well in the second not half of the season, so you're kind of stuck at this point where you've kind of cultivated all these guys who should be your bench players, none of whom have played very well, so now you're stuck with really three guys off of the bench and Francisco Garcia hasn't really given you much of anything either so they're kind of in a bad spot again it gets back to the guys making the money it gets back to James Harden it gets back to a guy like Chandler Parsons who isn't making money but who will one day be that guy they have to be better and you can't expect your team to play well when those two guys are two for eight from three-point range and really the eight being the the most outstanding number to me in in terms of they're not even trying to shoot three-pointers if if you've kind of given up to an extent a small part of who you are in this big fight in the macro view the see the series is over so the rockets really need some time to reflect on what they've done thus far how poorly they've played offensively in terms of ball movement body movement the type of shots they have and have not taken and really come out with some resolve on friday night in portland if they can't do that then then this series is going to be over pretty much quickly you know and i want to talk obviously dwight howard as you pointed out was just came out looking like uh, the Orlando Magic's Dwight Howard. I mean, just came throwing down thunderous dunks. Uh, took it right to Robin Lopez. I think what was a concern for me was knowing that Dwight had, had this monster half, 25 points, and we were tied at halftime. I mean, that to me was an ominous sign. I thought right then and there, you know, unless somebody else, uh, namely Harden, stepped up, that they were going to be in trouble in the second half. Well, let me get first uh, to what did I think work. The Rock, you know, in the first game, the Rockets struggled closing, as you pointed out in, in those uh, in those quarters. But in the second, in the third tonight, they had a real problem out of the gate in those quarters. Uh, I think the second quarter they had a lineup with Garcia and Lynn, and in, in the third quarter it was the starters. Uh, they fell behind. But what was effective was late first quarter the Twin Towers lineup with the Rockets three guard lineup. 
What did you see from that at the end of the first quarter? It was effective defensively, I think, but it's difficult to generate scoring. Again, a part is not going to give you anything. I think, you know, as well as you think you can play defensively against Portland, it's only going to be so much because it's an outstanding offensive team. So, yeah, there was a stretch in time where I think Ozzy disrupted, altered a little bit, or they were able to negate what Portland wanted to do offensively for a short spell of time, but I don't think that's going to last. And, and as much as Harden heart, you know, harped on the fact that it's our defense, defense, and he's right, it's their defense that has to get better, the, the Rockets still have to be a better offensive team than they've been. You know, when you're the fourth-best team in the league in terms of offensive rating, when you've closed the way you've closed, scoring a gang of points, even without Beverly and Howard, and that makes for a stretch, then that's who you are. And, and if you've kind of slipped back in terms of, you know, 43% shooting or not taking a lot of three-pointers or, you know, 16 assists and only 39 um, field, goal, field, field goals made, 16 assists the other night as well, that's not ball movement. The, the number was, what, 25 that Nikhil always talks about. That, that's a benchmark for having a good offensive game is that if they get 25 assists in a the game. They're nowhere close to that right now. So that means bodies aren't moving. The ball is being sticky, as Mikhail likes to say. The guys are holding the ball. Even that early explosion by Howard in the post, I'm still a big believer they need to run some pick and roll. they, they got to move Brooke Lopez's feet. I mean, not Brooke, Robin Lopez's feet. They're not doing that. And as great as Howard was early, he started missing those shots in the second half. And you know why? It was the same set they were running over and over again. Dump it in, make him do something. And eventually that's not going to work. They came over with double teams. They disrupted him a little bit. And he couldn't get into that same sort of rhythm he had early on in the game. I don't understand why they're so reluctant to run pick and roll with him. Why they, they, they don't challenge Portland's defense to move bodies around. We didn't really see a lot of passing around the perimeter to get guys open looks, which may explain why they only took 16 three-point shots. They're just doing a lot of things wrong, and, and I think they've kind of gotten away from who they've been through the course of two years with James Harden here, and even more so with Dwight Howard during Harden this year. And, and that's really the biggest concern. The losses are a concern, but the way they played is, is more concerning to me at this stage. You know, I want to set the stage of uh, where the Rockets are right now. I believe the numbers are 94 95%. Uh, of teams in this situation, if Portland's in right now, go on to win this series. Um, it's a daunting task that the Rockets have in front of them, being down 2-0 after losing the first two games at home. As a matter of fact, only three times in NBA history has a team come back from that uh, situation. And once was the 05 Mavericks against the Rockets, and the other one was the 94 Rockets against the Suns. So the Rockets have their, their work cut out for them going up into Portland uh, where I believe they are 31 and 10 this year at home, um, and they have to they have to flat out win there. Um, if they lose this series, which is the most likely, is Kevin McHale's job in jeopardy? In your opinion? I think absolutely. Um, and I wouldn't have said that a month ago, but this team is their lack of growth on some levels has been a little bit disconcerting. Um, I don't think they've handled adversity well coming down the stretch in the last three years. Um, the collapse two years ago, they really didn't play very well down the stretch late. I thought even with the injuries, they could have been a little bit better than they were down the stretch this season. And let's be honest, I think Mikhail's up a little bit clueless in terms of what he wants to do, in terms of how he approaches defending Aldridge and even getting his offense on track. Um, just the, 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 the demeanor of Terry Stotts compared to Mikhail is something I've noticed. Um, Stott seems like he has a great deal of confidence in what he's doing and what his players are going to do, and I don't see that from McHale. And it seems like McHale's kind of relying on a lot of pat answers in terms of how he answers questions about what they're doing and not really getting into specifics in terms of how you make this thing better. And I'm not a big believer in narrative, but the narrative has kind of been built that McHale's not doing a good job or this team had higher expectations of losing in the first round, 
those things kind of undermine what you know a coach can accomplish and if the players are buying into it or if the front office is buying into it if everybody's hearing that noise then yeah i think it becomes legitimate if, if they get swept or if they lose this series in five games a lot of people thought not only would they win the series they could challenge the spurs in the second yeah. round yeah that that's a serious issue, and, and they're missing a golden opportunity here. Absolutely, and and granted, I, there's a part of me that always believes that this team is this is step one for this group. You know, it's still a very young team. Dwight Howard is really your oldest core player at 28, so they should be better next year than they were this year and the year after that, and so on and so forth. But saying that, you can't afford to lose at home two games in a row and just brush it off. I think this is going to require some examination in the off season in terms of where you're headed. Now, again. I'm a big solutions guy. Don't just don't just create another problem by addressing this problem. If you're going to talk about firing Kevin McHale, who's your next coach? And I don't want to hear Stan Van Gundy because it completely changes what you are offensively if that's the guy, which means you're going to have to address some issues with your roster. So before everybody gets all fired up by getting rid of, getting rid of a coach that most people feel like is insufficient, you better have a, a damn good clue who the next coach is going to be. Yeah. You know, and I... I have a hard time believing it. I think that there's an argument to make, especially for the fact that the defense could be better. Um, I mean, I think they're probably a, at the very bottom of a top 10 defense with everyone healthy all year. But you've got 48 minutes of elite rim protection that you probably won't have next year. But you, you do have you had that this year. You have a great on the ball on ball defender with with Patrick Beverly. You do have some defensive weaknesses, but they should be better, in my opinion, uh, defensively than they are. It's just so hard to say, given the fact that Kevin McHale was a big part of getting Dwight Howard here, and how much of it is, uh, you know, they'll replace staff or something along those lines to to accompany him as the leader of a coach. But something I could see changing. I still think that the overwhelming story, if the Rockets lose this series, uh, will be James Harden's play, and he can change that narrative right now. And I don't want to, I don't want to blow out of proportion his argument with a reporter afterwards tonight. I just think things like that. They matter when everyone's there. Um, it, it shows accountability and, and leadership. I think in the first game, I think he took accountability. Said, "Hey, I need to do better." And in this game, I, I don't think we saw that. And that, that's what concerns me about him. I believe in his talent. I don't believe necessarily in his leadership ability. I'm going to disagree with you there. I think if you show accountability in game one, you bring your butts to the podium. I was surprised that a guy of his his stature on this team with Is all that the his accolades. Well, make it make it your choice. Uh-huh. You know what? I, I have a hard time believing that if Michael Jordan said I want to go to the podium, someone would tell him no. Yeah. If Kobe said I want to go to the podium, someone would tell him no. If James wanted to go to the podium after the game, he'd be at the podium. No, I, so that's a good so point. to an extent, he's hiding behind the poor performance in game one. And best believe me, Dave, if he had thirty five points on, you know, 12 or 16 shooting in game one, he would have been at the podium. You know, right. No one would have said, no, you just stay in the locker room. He would have been at the podium. So you can't be that guy that hides when things go bad and, and shows up when things go well and, and wants exactly. a pat on the back. So I'm going to disagree with you there. I don't think he, he, he accepted responsibility playing poorly in game one because he didn't bring his butt to the podium. It was Dwight Howard. Uh, that's an interesting perspective because I, I always felt that the you know PR or somebody else decided that. But I will say that as far as him holding himself accountable in, in games where he has struggled, I've always felt that's an issue of his because, you know, I look back at that game at home where he got just he was just absolutely terrible against the Phoenix Suns and and tried to slip out before any of us could talk to him. I mean, that those are the kind of things that uh, if he's a, a true superstar, he needs to, as you said, you know, stand up and, and take a p- accountability. But it is interesting. I just didn't. I, I thought he was saying the right things after game one. So I do have a different view of it. it, game it one. It's talk, but it's talk in a locker room setting, whereas it's not talk at the podium with every camera there 
in a crowded setting with other media there and really the opportunity to kind of expose yourself. Um, We've talked about this a lot, just kind of between you and I. He needs to grow up, and he's 24. He has time, and he has room to grow up. But episodes like this are are concerning. You hate to see him get so testy with a veteran reporter who asks him a legitimate question, and you hate to see these signs you referenced at the Phoenix game and other things that have gone on through the course of this year where it seems like he isn't quite there yet, where he isn't ready to shoulder the full responsibility of being the star player on his team or a co-star with Dwight Howard. Say what you want about Howard, but... I know he was in a podium the last two games, and he did not really play particularly well in game one, not shooting nine for 21. So it's easy to kind of shy away and let somebody else take the responsibility. I don't want to see James Harden doing that, and I feel like he's done that two games in a row. Yeah. I think they're going to win at least one of these in Portland. They've won there before. They have that, that going for them. Sometimes, and again, I'm not trying to put a, a huge silver lining on this, I'm, but it is a little bit here. Sometimes when everyone counts you out you never know how somebody's going to respond and the fact that Harden has struggled so badly shooting well under 30% in this series uh, he may come out like gangbusters he obviously did extremely well against this team in the regular season and last year as well Um, so we'll see how they respond but I do want to close here just by pointing out that the Rockets video intro that they which a fantastic intro uh, that they do you know in game in arena for the playoffs they have these words in it, and it just says, we believe in you, we have faith in you. Are you only the legend, or are you the truth? What do you think? How do you think that applies right now? I think it applies to James. Um, you know, he's at that stage in his career where he can ascend. Um, Kobe Bryant's on his way out. I can't think of another two-guard in the league that can really challenge James in terms of supremacy in this league right now. Some great point guards in this league right now, Chris Paul and, and Damian Lillard and Steph Curry and on and on. But who are the other two guards that are really going to step and fill that void alongside James to replace what you're losing in Kobe Bryant? So this is a wonderful opportunity for him to, to become the legend, to become a guy who, who people look at as, oh, wow, he was suppressed all those years in Oklahoma City. He's outstanding. He can be the leader of a franchise. So it, it's showing tough for him. It really is. And, and I don't think I'm overstating that. I don't, think I'm, I don't think this is hyperbolic. I think it's an opportunity for him to really solidify his legacy as a young star in this league. If he goes to Portland and continues to be, you know, to cower in the moment, to not deliver like he's delivered so many times this season, it's something the Rockets fans should kind of look at cockeyed at and, and, and wonder what's next for him and what's next for this franchise because you've invested yourself fully in him. And if this is going to be two years in a row where he hasn't been outstanding in the postseason, it's something to think twice about. All right, game three is Friday, and we will see how the Rockets respond. Uh, hopefully they can uh, extend this playoff series and at least get it back home here for game five. MK, thanks so much for joining me, man. Thank you, Dave.